This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptuson. On this episode of the podcast, we have Andreas M. Antonopoulos. We talk about streaming money, messaging over the Lightning Network, and we even get into the concept of Giga Onions. Before we jump into this 26th episode of the podcast, I do want to announce that this episode will be the first sponsored episode of the podcast. So I'm really excited and really glad that Fold is sponsoring this particular episode of the podcast. Let's go ahead and jump into it. How will we possibly survive the quarantine? With Fold. How can Fold help us? Personally, I bought Amazon gift cards using Bitcoin over Lightning. It was super cool. You can also get Bitcoin back when you buy with a debit or credit card. You're telling me I can stack sats? You sure can. But you can also have more private transactions because credit card companies won't see what you're actually buying. But wait, there's more. No way. There is no way. Yeah, way, bro. On Fold's mobile app, you can win up to 10,000 sats on the daily spin. Where can I find this beautiful app? You can find it on Google Play and in the Apple App Store. You can stack sats on many different vendors like Nintendo, Uber, and more. Download the app today. Go ahead and welcome Andreas to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Chess. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you. I honestly never thought when I sent in that email that you would actually reply and jump on the podcast. So it's great to talk to you about Lightning. You're the reason I started to get into Lightning. As I recall, I was watching a video, I think from 2017. It was one where you started introducing the subject of streaming money. Do you remember that video? Yes, indeed. I really like that whole concept of not getting paid monthly or bi-monthly or weekly and getting paid by the day or by the hour or even by the second if you wanted to go that far. Have your thoughts changed on this concept? Do you think we're any closer to that concept with Lightning actually being on mainnet? My thoughts haven't changed. I think the entire concept is a very valid possibility for future you really don't have to go to the extreme to see its value. So if you simply take the granularity of payments we experience in a variety of industries, whether it's wages and payroll or it's subscription services or various other things like that, we're pretty much stuck with three broad granularities, annual, monthly, and uh, weekly or biweekly. And nobody does anything more frequent. The reason no one in does anything more frequent has nothing to do with economics and it has everything to do with the infrastructure of payments. So if you change the infrastructure of payments and it becomes economically feasible, then that opens up the opportunity to explore all of these other timescales. So we're opening an extra dimension of time and exploring areas of that dimension that we've never explored before with the ability to do micropayments in microseconds, right? You don't have to go all the way down to the second. If you simply changed payroll to be every week, that would already be an impactful change, but you could certainly do it every day. Do you think we're any closer on a technology level since maybe when you first made that video? Oh, absolutely. I think it's possible now. 
I could probably start paying my staff if they chose to use that mechanism. I could probably start paying them with a recurring lightning payment that's directly related to the hours they work or daily or something like that. I don't know that they'd want it primarily because at the moment, most of the people who choose to be paid with crypto also choose to hold that crypto long term. So they look at it more as a portion of their salary that goes into savings, but that may change too. Okay, I can definitely see that. But I guess from my perspective of being a lightning junkie here, I think I would definitely sign up to get paid as often as possible just because it's kind of a very novel thing. Yeah, I I think it's one of those questions where it's about bootstrapping a double-ended market, meaning that in order for it to be viable for me to pay my employees in Lightning, I have to be able to receive payments in Lightning. So I've already achieved that end. In order for my employees to find it acceptable to have their wages paid in Lightning, they have to have somewhere to spend it. That part isn't yet there. But the more people who can accept their wages in Lightning, the more likely that future becomes. I also want to expand this discussion a tiny bit because Lightning, of course, isn't the only way you can do this. There are probably dozens of payment channel and state channel projects all across the crypto space, layer two networks, et cetera, that can achieve these characteristics. That's an interesting point. Do you think other layer two solutions will end up competing with Lightning on Bitcoin and do their own job of adding scale or other features, et cetera? Possibly, although at the moment, most layer two solutions are fairly focused on a single cryptocurrency and not really crossing too many borders. Even Lightning, although it supports two cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Litecoin, that's only because Litecoin is like a close first degree cousin of Bitcoin and in construction is identical, has followed the roadmap. So it's very easy to port it there. I very much want to see second layer networks that transcend crypto boundaries and become inter-ledger and inter-blockchain and inter-currency networks. But I think it's still too early for that. Got it. So what do you think would come as a precursor to that? Like, I've definitely heard a lot of those interoperable networks out there. I haven't looked into them too heavily, to be honest. But do you think it's going to be something like Lightning or is it going to be something else? Well, if we take from the experience of the internet, I would say gateways happen before routers. In the case of layer two networks, bridging a layer two network with another chain or another layer two network first happens with an isolated gateway that is not a protocol that does not represent an open protocol, but represents a a system, perhaps even a trusted system in the first step. You can imagine, for example, a node that runs an Ethereum client and a Lightning Network client and allows you to take a Lightning payment in order to fund an Ethereum contract with some data payload. Now that already exists. Someone built that. The first iteration of that is trusted, meaning that there's no mechanism to ensure that the node, the gateway in between, doesn't simply walk away with a lightning payment and fulfills the second part of the contract. Now, using the same technology as atomic swaps, you can make one action dependent on the other. So you don't need to replicate the entire set of protocols that Lightning uses, the entire set of routing, path discovery, node discovery, transaction channel, etc. All you have to do is replicate the simple pre-image and hash mechanism that it uses for promises, Ethereum, and make it so that the gateway in between is not a trusted system. 
That's the first step. Then it's a gateway. If you gradually start making more and more of the routing capabilities cross that gateway, eventually it becomes a router, an inter-protocol router. On the internet, that's how Cisco started its operations. They started building gateways to connect things like token ring and ethernet, et cetera, et cetera. And as better protocols emerged and they were able to transcend those, then they switched to being a router company. I, I think we're going to see the same thing happen in layer two networks and blockchains. Do you have very many thoughts about layer three networks that don't really quite exist right now? It seems that eventually, if you do have a series of these gateways connecting a variety of layer two networks, and those gateways use some coordination protocol to talk to each other, then a layer three protocol emerges. But, you know, I'm quite happy to wait and see how this stuff plays out organically in the space. I think that we're certainly not restricted to a one layer network, a two layer network or a three layer network. The internet has a dozen layers and things are extremely fragmented at the bottom end of that. So layer one and two, right? Extremely fragmented in the upper layers. So above HTTP and only consolidated right in the middle with IP. Do you think this path of taking multiple layers like the internet, do you think that's the optimal path for blockchains going forward and not to go where BSV is going with quote unquote on-chain scaling? To me, the layers issue isn't only a matter of scaling. There's many other design considerations that go into it. The degree of centralization, the degree of privacy, the degree of trust that you need to put in and scaling are all considerations. When balancing all of the considerations, it is very unlikely that we will arrive at any solution that can offer us all of those considerations in a single layer. Inevitably, in each layer, there will be trade-offs. And if you make one layer that has a trade-off of scaling, then you sacrifice other aspects. The question is, where do you make those trade-offs in which layer and what the optimum roadmap is? As far as the scaling debate, as far as I'm concerned, that scaling debate is over. Everybody got their choice and everybody got to watch their projects pursue different approaches to scaling. And so now it's for the markets to decide. More importantly, it's for application developers and users to find a way to make these things easier to use and more approachable by mainstream users. If that happens on one network versus another, then that will win in the marketplace. In terms of breaking things into layers, the challenge here, and, and this is the big difference with the internet, is being able to maintain the abstraction boundary. What does that mean? That means that when you do a layered protocol on the internet or you build layered software or something like that, you want to make sure that something changing in one layer doesn't affect what happens in the other layers. Meaning if I'm using IP and I'm transmitting that IP over ethernet versus over microwave, some other transmission mechanism, you want as much as possible the choices that are happening in layer one and two to not affect what's happening in layer three to be mostly abstracted away. Now that's not always perfect. If suddenly this recording that we're doing, instead of going over fiber optic ended up getting bounced through a satellite in geostationary orbit, we'd get a third of a second delay, whether we like it or not, due to physics. You can't hide that in layer three. Even on the internet, layer boundaries leak side effects effectively up and down the stack. Now in crypto, in blockchains, in financial products, 
products, these leaks can be much more severe and have much more serious consequences. The difference of whether your payment was settled on Bitcoin on a proof of work consensus algorithm or was settled on some other chain, and I don't want to badmouth another chain, but some other chain that has a crappy, centralized, easily gamed consensus algorithm, that matters. You can't hide that in layer two or layer three. While I think we're going to have many layers, it's going to be much more difficult in terms of development than it was on the internet because the side effects between layers, the boundaries between layers need to be much more carefully thought out because the impact of leaks between layers uh, and ab abstraction violations is much more severe in these systems. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I do want to move on though, because we are short on time. One that I hear about quite often on the podcast when I say, what are you looking forward to is messaging directly over lightning. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yes. I mean, the messaging protocol does have the ability to carry some lightweight data. There's a risk of taking that too far. The bandwidth and the messaging processing of the Lightning Network is, again, a scarce resource. It's not unlimited. So therefore, you have to be careful and decide how much of this scarce resource do you want to use for things that need to be validated between the peers versus how much you can offload to another network. It's the same argument as, do you use gigablocks and put meteorology data on the blockchain? Or do you just store hashes for integrity checking or keys for key exchange on the protocol for encryption purposes and store the data on some other protocol that's better designed for storage? So in terms of messaging, I think the Lightning provides a fantastic mechanism to add various monetization and game theory incentive systems to pay for use in such a way that prevents spamming and prevents spoofing and civil attacks. So it's great for that. But do we need to put the messages themselves on the Lightning Network? We just exchange the necessary keys and then store all of the messages in IPFS. There's a balance to be struck there. If you go too far down one path, you end up with gigablocks, right? or in the case of Lightning, Giga Onions, that just flood the network. And, and there's no reason to put the data itself on the same protocol that you're using for coordination, for key exchange, for security. I, I really appreciate you bringing me back to reality there. I didn't really have a good grasp on how it would work. I do want to keep moving here. The big thing that you're working on right now is mastering the Lightning Network. How did that get started? So that started more than a year ago. In fact, it's taken a very long time to get it to this point, but I started thinking about writing this book about two years ago. I was buried in writing the second edition of Mastering Bitcoin and immediately afterwards the Mastering Ethereum, and a lot of the ideas got delayed. At some point at the end of last year, I wanted to have some co-authors on this book and replicate some of the successful results I got with Mastering Bitcoin and Mastering Ethereum, where we got a lot of the community to contribute. I ended up taking less of a role of primary author, where I basically write the entire book, as happened with the first edition of Mastering Bitcoin, and more of a role of higher level narrative, uh, single voice, and strategic approach. So with Mastering Ethereum, for example, I wrote about 40% of the book. That's just a really rough estimate. Writing about 40% of the book allowed me to focus on the areas that I really felt needed my touch. Assembling everything else, deciding what goes in, how it flows, what's included, 
what's not. And then using the contributions of the community and cheerleading, if you want, this entire community effort was a strong result and it works very well. I want to do the same thing here. And one of the ways to do that was to engage with two excellent co-authors so we can do it as a team. And so I reached out to Laulo Shintaken, who is the chief technology officer of Lightning Labs, the primary author of the LND Lightning Node and major influence in the space. Rene Picard, who is a data scientist who'd done a lot of educational work around Lightning and was already writing an open source book on the topic. And then it took about six to eight months of negotiation and contracts and layouts and plans, et cetera, until eventually we announced in August. And then it took another four or five months to get started because of some personal life situations. You know, they always get in the way. Definitely. I own Mastering Bitcoin. I'm still having a hard time going beyond like page three or four or something. Essentially, is this book going to have a similar setup where it's like the easy stuff is in the first few pages or few chapters. And then as you progress, it becomes more technical and more things you might not have done before, etc. Yes, absolutely. It is my goal to try to replicate that primarily because I think that managed to effectively serve multiple audiences. As you mentioned, the first two chapters of Mastering Bitcoin are very accessible to a broad audience. And beyond that, you might have to skim or skip chapters and still you can dive in and get a good idea of how the mechanics work. For someone who's really not technical after the second chapter, it gets quite hairy. With Mastering Lightning, we're trying to make the first two chapters that were just published last week, actually, the draft, very accessible. And it replicates a lot of the basics of Mastering Bitcoin down to the fact that it's about Alice buying a cup of coffee from Bob's Cafe again, only this time on the Lightning Network and how to set up and fund the wallet and all of that. Then from chapter three, it's going to get a bit more technical. And then from chapter five, it's going to get quite a bit more technical. I've been really interested in wanting to actually contribute to this book since it's open source and everything. I actually want to give back. I have a fair amount of experience using Lightning. I try to use it as often as possible, etc. I'm not supremely technical like one might describe you as. How would I be able to contribute or how would a listener be able to contribute if they're unsure and wanting to help here? First of all, I, I would say I'm not supremely technical either. <laughs> That's why I collaborate with even more technical people than myself. I am a computer scientist, but w when it comes to these very, very deep technical topics, it's okay to say when you start this journey, you're not as technical as you want to be, but part of writing a book is that by the end of it, you ramp up quickly, right? So. One of the things I can suggest is that people who want to contribute to this book will gain a lot by learning as they contribute and read. We are going to gradually develop, we already have a number of tasks and issues that can be resolved by people with very little technical knowledge. Simple fixes in syntax and grammar to corrections in the glossary to even just filing bug reports, issues, as they're called on GitHub, to say, this paragraph doesn't make sense to me. I need you to explain it more, or it needs a diagram, or something like that. We have a special category of issues and a template for that called Help Me Understand. So just by reading and then providing feedback in terms of what you do and don't understand, keep in mind, you're part of our audience for this book. So if you see something that's not explained well, we need to know that. And it's often difficult to get that perspective. After you've read a chapter 15 times while you're drafting it, your eyes just glaze over <laughs> and you miss obvious typos and things like that, but also just kludgy language. So yeah, everyone can help.
all technical levels. Everyone can help with this book. And so if you go to github.com slash lnbook slash lnbook, you can jump into the repository. We have all of the links on lnbook.info. There's a contributing guide on the repository and there's already a series of issues and you can just join the conversation and offer an opinion or just jump in and start fixing things. We'll make sure to have that in the show notes to make it easy as well. As a person gets into Bitcoin, they go through many different stages. They trade, they mine, they hodl or whatever. Then they probably reach a, a point where they really want to give back to Bitcoin or Lightning in this case, contributing to a book or contributing open source project like BTC Pay Server is definitely a way to do that. Starting a podcast that, you know, tries to give out different information, et cetera. Do you have any other thoughts on how people can contribute or give back to Bitcoin slash Lightning? I think the other really important one is the in-person face-to-face interaction with newbies who are entering the space, whether it's newbie developers coming into Lightning or it's Bitcoin newbies at local meetups who are trying to figure out how to install a Lightning wallet, which one to install, how to fund it, where to get their first Bitcoin. Really, really simple stuff. After you've been a year in Bitcoin, it seems obvious, but during the first year is daunting and impossible to understand. And really bridging that gap, that initial on-ramp. I think anyone can do that, right? If you've already walked that path, then you can go back to the beginning of the path and help others follow. I think that's a really important task. On a very similar note, I was watching uh, Joe Rogan recently. Bitcoin randomly came up like it does He was describing his feelings towards it, how he might describe any subject that comes up on the podcast. He mentioned that you were on there a handful of times, how he generally doesn't care about Bitcoin at this point. There were some people on Twitter yesterday saying, we need to get someone on Joe Rogan to sell him on Bitcoin. And it doesn't feel like a real path to actually get him to care about Bitcoin. I don't think if you went on there 10 more times that he would really care in the way that we care about Bitcoin, I think. How do we, as Bitcoiners, Lightning folk, reach out to the the real world and convince them without pressuring them, without actually trying to sell them on something? Well, I think the important thing is to recognize that Joe Rogan is not the real world, and neither is most of his audience. With all respect, Joe Rogan is an affluent white male in North America, as are most of his followers, who have access to banking and capital and all of the necessities and the luxuries of life. He's not the person who will walk into a bank and get kicked out because of how they look or be unable to open an account because they have insufficient documentation or not even have a bank in their vicinity. The important thing to realize is that Bitcoin isn't a tool for helping already financially included uh, and relatively affluent Westerners play along with a fad and get endorsements or popularity points. This is a tool for financial empowerment and freedom which people who need find. So the question is, how do you talk to the people who actually need it? And the answer is in Espanol. It's outside the US. The hotspots right now are in Central and South America. Beyond that, Southeast Asia, eventually places like China, as they become more and more totalitarian, become hotspots. As technology develops and infrastructure develops Africa, this is not a technology that is yet necessary in Western states, unless we have a massive currency collapse, which I hope we don't. So I would much rather present this as a tool for financial empowerment for those who really need it and don't have it, the other 6 billion. Joe is fortunate enough not to be in that category, and that's great. We don't need to persuade him to use it. He has access to all of the other means of of a well-off financially included person in a modern society and a developed society. 
I really appreciate that. I think we're reaching the end of the show here. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to wrap up with here? I'm just really excited to be on Lightning Junkies, and I've heard so many good things about the show. It's really great that Lightning is bringing this new degree of enthusiasm, this new velocity and development and innovation into Bitcoin. It's a breath of fresh air and working with people who are in this space and working in the lightning space specifically is a wonderful opportunity. So I'm really excited to be doing my third O'Reilly, my third mastering book on this topic. I'm really excited to come on the show and, and talk more about lightning. I hope we do this again soon. Well, once again, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Jazz. Boom. That was the 26th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. Did you learn anything? I certainly think I did. Andreas definitely talked about things that were new to me, you know, reasons why not to inflate the size of lightning messages too big or else we end up with the BSV type situation. It's all very fascinating. Once again, I do want to thank Fold for sponsoring this podcast. Hopefully it's one of many future sponsorships. You know, not only from Fold, but from other Lightning vendors that I really like. Please excuse the lack of coronavirus talk. This episode was recorded in February, so we weren't even really thinking about that here in the United States quite so much. And yeah, it just never really came up on the podcast. Other than that, that's the end of the show. Please, if you want to support the show, subscribe, leave reviews, you know, tip Bitcoin over Lightning. All that stuff's in the show notes, so please don't hesitate to do so. For now, I'm out. I hope to see you guys. I hope to see you on the Lightning Network. Bye.